The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, o Lord. When the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go then to Bethlehem to see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The primary thing that, that I really want everybody to focus on today at this, this Christmas Day Mass is this reality that we always say that, you know, of course, Jesus Christ came into the world. But I like to say it way more specifically than that. He came to you as an individual. You and you and you and you. Yes, he came to the world, but he came to each of us individually to be a part of our story, to be a part of our sacred story in our life. And so that's, that's the thing I want you to keep like in your mind all during this whole entire Mass today. Now, for those of you who have watched the movie It's a Wonderful Life, I'm sure many of you have already watched the movie maybe this time this year. In, in some ways, a good movie or one with a more profound and deep message is, is not unlike the gospel in that sometimes the older you get, you hear gospels over and over and over and over again. And yet, it's still like, I never heard that phrase before or I never noticed that word or I never remembered that situation. It's like it completely continues to unfold for us throughout our life, especially sometimes during certain circumstances in our life. Something will just absolutely grab us. In the last few years, there was something that I noticed about It's a Wonderful Life, specifically at the very beginning that I, I never quite noticed before. You know what it's like when we have Christmas movies on, right? Because you've seen the whole thing at some point, they're sort of just like on in the background while you're cooking or wrapping or doing all of these different things, right? And um, you don't necessarily watch them <clears throat> from beginning to end all the time. But that movie starts out with something very profound. It starts out with prayer. <clears throat> all of these people in George Bailey's life, lifting him up in prayer. You hear all these different voices. They're like this little child voice. Dear God, I'm praying for my father, George Bailey. Please help him. Dear Lord, I pray for my husband, George Bailey. Please help him. Dear Lord, I pray for my friend, George Bailey. Please help him. <clears throat> and then amazingly, the camera angle shifts, and it goes up to the sky, up to the heavens, right? And you see something unbelievable. You see something that looks sort of almost like a galaxy, like the Milky Way itself. 
and something that's a little bit smaller than that, almost like a constellation, and then, uh, and then eventually a tiny little star. So that big galaxy-looking thing is God speaking to St. Joseph, the great intercessor of St. Joseph. And they're having this conversation. It's like, Joseph, we've heard many prayers about a man named George Bailey. We must send somebody to him. We must send somebody to help him. And then who do they call in? They call in the humble little angel Clarence. And he shows up as a tiny little star in the conversation. And that conversation continues. And we remember in this moment, this moment is really an allegory of who God, of who Jesus Christ is. That God the Father sends somebody to help us. Sends somebody to our aid. And so in that moment, Clarence comes along and they say, Clarence, we need to send you to help this man named George. And this is the moment that just stuck out to me for the first time in my life. And so Clarence asks this first question, is he sick? And the response is, no, no, something far worse. He's discouraged. He's discouraged. That just hit me like a ton of bricks. The state of our world often suffers so much more from discouragement than it does from any sort of sickness. And that's one of the things that the Lord himself came to save us from. But I think what the world has forgotten in so many ways is the state in which we live. And this is it. Remember, we talk about this all throughout Advent as we lead up to this point. Adam and Eve make a prideful decision. They're already living in the will of God, in paradise with God, in communion with him. But then they make the prideful decision to do their own will instead of God's will, which separates them from God, from his company. And that's what we call original sin. And that's inherited by all humanity. So that state of the world is a fallen world. That's why we experience sickness and discouragement and death and illness, all of these different things. But many of you, whether you yourself or your children or your grandchildren, were probably baptized in this very baptismal font right over here. And that is the moment that we are adopted into God's family. We are washed from original sin and adopted into his family. And we remember all during, during Advent, we talk about St. John the Baptist, this great, great forerunner who comes before Jesus, and he baptizes Jesus himself, not because Jesus needs to be freed from original sin, but he comes first. He makes the literal waters of baptism holy to make all of us holy, for us to be a part of him. And it reminds us of all the different times that he used water for deliverance. You just remember delivering the Israelites through the parting of the Red Sea so that they can be delivered. All these different times, that powerful, powerful substance of water is so important for us. And in many ways, George Bailey is analogous to somebody who's kind of seeking initially to doing their own will, at least at the beginning. We see him even as a young man in a little soda slash drug shop, right, that he works in. And he's there, and he's talking about, he has National Geographic. 
It's like, oh, I'm gonna, he's talking to his future wife, right? Oh, wow, this is for explorers. I'm going to travel the world. You know, I'm going to go all over the place. I'm going to do all these things, and I'm going to get out of here. And then when he's older, he still has that same feeling. You know, he's like, I'm going to shake the dust off my feet of this crummy town, and I'm going to go to Greece and to Rome. And, you know, he has all these, these dreams of, of getting out of there in his life. But then a great, great tragedy, an unexpected tragedy hits his life <clears throat> when his father suffers a stroke. But his father is somebody very, very unique. He is somebody, he's like a father of mercy, like God himself. He's the one who recognized in his savings and loan, he sees the person not making a lot of money. <clears throat> and in that time, what does he do? He sees somebody who needs housing, somebody who needs food, somebody who needs clothing, and he's constantly offering his loving care and mercy to all of those people. And then he suddenly dies, and George is confronted with something. He realizes that his father's love for the people of that town was a pivotal relationship. And then once he was absent, he starts to see what his father's absence would do to the town. And he does something so unbelievably profound. And that's sacrifice. He realizes that his dreams and his hopes of going off to school and leaving are not as important as taking over for his father to help all of the people of that town. Our fallen world cannot be overcome without sacrifice. That's what Jesus came into the world to do. He enters the world knowing that he is going to suffer for the world, to offer that great sacrifice for the world. But of course, George, there's a couple other pivotal things that happen, right? He meets Mary. He meets this wonderful woman who kind of really changed the changes the trajectory of his, his life in many ways. And it was funny because Deacon Chuck and I were here at the four and the six last night. And this is something beautiful about marriage. You'll notice this too, right? Does everybody remember that, that scene where they're dancing in the gym? And then, of course, the court starts to open in the swimming pool. Notice something amazing, though, right? They're the only ones who don't notice, right? Because they're so fixated on one another that they don't really see all of the things that are going around them. You know, they're really loving each other, willing each other's good. And then the funny thing is, last night, Deacon Chuck's wife, Carol, God bless her, she notices that he had a different Dalmatic. His vestment was a little different than mine. And wouldn't you know it, he shows up this morning with a matching Dalmatic. And that was not Deacon Chuck's idea. <laughs> you know? And so... Those of you that are married, oh gosh, you're, you're helping to get each other to heaven. Just like those prayers in the beginning of that movie, I'm praying for my husband, George, who is suffering, who's discouraged right now. You lift each other up. But so there's this amazing moment, amazing moment in the movie. You remember, after they're, they're drying off and going on that walk from falling in the pool. And there's this part where George starts to look outside of the world, because that's where our desire lies. It doesn't lie on this earth. It lies in something that's eternal. And so George is looking at something beyond this earth. He's like, what do you want, Mary? You know, do you want the moon? 
So he looks beyond the earth. Do you want the moon? I'll throw a lasso around the moon. I'll pull it down, and I'll give it to you. And then and she's like, all right. You know, well, what, well, what's next? And then he's like, and then you'll swallow it, see? And it'll all dissolve. And then there'll be moonbeams shooting out your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. <laughs> it's just this amazing scene that he's describing right there. And it reminded me that our greatest gift, when our Lord Jesus Christ came to us, our greatest gift lies here, or it happens here. When our Lord comes down to be part of us in the Eucharist, that he gives himself to be a part of us individually as a part of our sacred story. That's, that's the great gift. I remember when I was a little kid in New York, we had our Christmas Eve was like at least as big as Christmas Day. Maybe my sister and like all my cousins and my entire family would go over to my grandmother's house. And the tradition basically was that all of the gifts from the family were opened on that day. And when I was young, like when I was a little kid there, I, the stack of presents, each kid had a stack. And it was like, it was taller than we were. And I remember little future Father Peter was like, you know, just like dumbfounded by the stack of gifts is taller than me. But the one thing you learned as a child in my family is you didn't have to live too many Christmases to realize that most of the gifts were clothes. <laughs> you know, it was like socks and underwear, and all the necessities that my aunts and uncles would buy for us throughout the year. However, there was one great gift, one special gift. We didn't exactly know where it was in the stack because it was all stacked in a neat pyramid, so who knows what size it was that year. But that was the gift from my grandparents. So my granny, uh, granny and poppy is what we used to call them. It was some sort of toy, some amazing, cool gift that was not clothes, right? Like a remote control car or something awesome like that. So that's all you want to do is sift through for the great gift. That image that's given in a wonderful life, it's like the Eucharist. Let me take something outside of this world, and then you'll swallow it, see? And it'll all dissolve, see? It'll, it'll become a part of your very being. And then the light of Christ will shoot out of your fingers and your toes and out of the ends of your hair, like those moonbeams radiating the love of Jesus Christ who is now in us. In this little spot of heavenly real estate that we are in right now, a Catholic church here on this earth, when we step outside, filled with that radiating light, that's who we bring to the rest of the world. We bring Jesus to the rest of the world. That's why he came to be with us, to conquer our discouragement. And as George Bailey walks through this difficult valley of discouragement, Clarence helps him, helps him to see that his life has infinite value. Somebody mentioned to me that Father Carey mentioned in his homily last night something very difficult and sad for us, that both of us have funerals upcoming um, that, that were suicides. Sat young people, young people in their 20s and 30s. Discouragement is far greater and ill than any 
sickness. But the Lord conquers all that. And that's what Clarence shows George. He said, your life has absolute value and dignity because you are a beloved son of God. Let me show you how if you were gone from this world, how everybody would be worse off, not better off. It would create more suffering if one of God's loved ones was, was to exit this world. And so he shows him that. And then amazingly, those very same people interceded for him at the beginning of the movie are the same people who come to his aid because they realize how much he had given up for all of them. And then they pour into the house and all the money that was lost, they're putting it all on the table, dumping out their savings for this man who had saved them. The Lord came to this earth as a rescue mission. That's why we call him Savior, because we actually needed to be rescued from our situation. And you'll remember in that profound moment, George Bailey sees a book on top of all of the money. It was Clarence's book, Robinson Crusoe. And he opens the book, and there's an amazing inscription in it. It says, No man is a failure who has friends. And I'll do you one better with the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater gift than to lay down your life for your friends. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And that's what we do for each other. So today, at this powerful Christmas Mass, we remember that the Lord entered life to be a part of our lives. Remember, with him, all things are possible. We could truly overcome any discouragement because our life is oriented beyond this earth to something far greater, eternal life with him in heaven. God bless you all so very much and have a Merry Christmas.